You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Harvest, and uh, Merry Christmas, right? Yeah, Christmas is two days away. As I tell my children, it's two sleeps away. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me this morning to Romans chapter 15. Um, if you are new to Harvest or you're just visiting, my name is Andy Hoffman. I am the pastor of students and young adults here at Harvest. And so this morning, we we'll to be walking through what it looks like to hope. I know this time of year, that, that word hope kind of gets thrown around a lot. And, and even sometimes we have a, a really just non-biblical view of what hope actually is. And so today we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit. But as you open to Romans chapter 15, uh, we're starting in verse 8 this morning. Let me just say this. (laughs) This is an unbelievable time for us, right? As people and uh, and as culture and and as Christians. It's it's an unbelievable time for us, right? Um, I think back, I'm a history buff, right? So I think back to the 1960s where we have a man walking on the moon, Right? And we have Apollo 11 and, and all these different things. Right? Um, and, then, and then come 2018, we, we have this awesome thing called an iPhone. Right? Now think about how far we've come between like a man on the moon and, and our iPhone. Right? And I was doing some research and stuff. That I found out this. The iPhone 6, right? we're on like the iPhone X, 10, whatever. Right? But the iPhone 6, not the 6S, the 6, right? has 120 million times more computing power than the Apollo 11 computer. That's mind-blowing, right? And so we, we think about this, right? Like, we have self-driving cars. Terrifying, okay? Uh, Amazon deliveries that are same day, which is, which is really good, right? Um, look, we have immediate everything, but we still struggle. We have everything at our fingertips, but we still struggle, right? Um, some of you guys who, who have... Some of my students, you guys are wrestling through homework. Some of us, just, just things, things in, our, in our jobs and, and everything like that. Like the best, here's, here's the struggle too. The best parts of technology seem so often to be used for the worst parts of humanity too, right? And that's kind of the, the scary part. And the, and, and the struggle to see past the problem in front of us is crippling us. It's crippling us as culture and it's crippling us as, as people and sometimes even as Christians. Either way, we, we come to find out this. At the end of the day, we are an impatient people. Hey, Siri, <laughs> that's what most of our conversations start with now. Or if you guys are Google people, hey, Google, whatever, right? But see, we're impatient even as we watch culture kind of crash around. It's like, come on, culture, how come you can't get this fixed? Come on, culture, how come, how come I'm seeing this world fall apart? Come on, like, and we're, we're looking at this and we're like, come, Jesus, come. And we, we say that phrase, and I've even heard some of us say it, and I say it, right? But like, the question is like, Outside of like everything else, like how do we know what's actually going to happen? And here's the great thing. In this, in this series called Presence, we are in this already but, but not yet stage in God's story. Right? So we're, we're seeing God's story played out before us and right before our eyes. We have this Advent season, which literally means the coming, right? And so we have this Advent season, and we have the crucifixion and the resurrection, and, and we know those things have already taken place, but we, we also have the opportunity to look down the timeline and into the future with the return of Jesus with expectation. We're in the already, but not yet. See, we read that Jesus is coming back, and we're smack dab in the middle of waiting. And today, honestly, some of us look at that waiting with a sense of hope and ambition and expectation of the return of Jesus. And here's the sad thing. Like, on the other side of that, and for others, like, we look into the future with anxiety and uncertainty. And here's, here's even more. Even those that are Christians, look, we find ourselves on the side of uncertainty because we've lost sight of the hope that we have in Christ. We've completely lost sight, you know? And here's the question, like, when do we lack hope and why do we lack hope? Like, I'm a, I'm a movie buff, so even in Star Wars A New Hope, hope is only mentioned 13 times. I did a script search, right? But here's this thing. Thankfully, Star Wars is not the Bible, and thankfully, Star Wars is not God. And in this book that I hold in my hand, the word hope is used over 200 times. And so we, we know we know that this, this hope that we have in us, like even as, as Pastor Brett was talking about last week, about talking about joy and how, how words get attached to the front of it, of inexpressible joy or anything like that. Look, I'm looking at the hope. Look, we have not just hope, but the Bible says we have a glorious hope and a living hope and a blessed hope. 
It's not just like hope that we put out there, but we have all these things. So follow with me. Romans 8, chapter, uh, sorry, Romans 15, starting verse 8, it says this. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. And even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, as we walk through your presence being our hope, God. Let us make much of you this morning. Let us not leave here saying, oh, what a good sermon. Let us leave here saying, how great is our God? And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just fill this place with your spirit, God, that you would speak through me, God, that you would allow these words not to be mine, but to be yours. God, I pray that we would have softened hearts this morning, God, not looking at this word hope and just going, I know what that means, but to, to just lock in with what you intended it to be and what you mean it to be today. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the question is this, what is, what is hope? And there's a lot of different definitions for hope and, and everything else that flies around here. But here's what I like. So from, from the, the Ecumenical Review, 1952, right? 1952, it says this, hope is commonly used to mean a wish. Its strength is the strength of a person's desire. That's, when we talk about hope, that's so often like when we attach our hope to. But in the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his faithfulness. That is hope. That is where we're coming from today. We're not talking about man's desire. We're not talking about the, the strength of a person's desire. We're talking about the confident expectation. Hope, and I break this down as this, hope is strictly a sure confidence. That's what hope is. Hope is a sure confidence. But the question is the sure confidence in what? And we can know this, that hope is a sure confidence in God, his faithfulness, and his work, it is not dependent on us, right? And so we, we come to this place where we have to know these things, and we have to understand what these things are. And here's the first thing. The presence of Jesus confirms God's promises. The presence of Jesus confirms God's promises. Look at me. Verse 8 again says, For I tell you that Jesus came to the servant to the Gentiles to show God's truthfulness in order, look, in order to confirm, or sorry, to the Jews, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs or the fathers or people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. And here's the thing. What was, what was written regarding these, these promises? There are many promises given to them. But the best promise, this, is, this might be an objective thing here, or a subjective thing rather, but the best promise is that the Messiah would come and restore what sin had broken. That Jesus would come, that someday he would send someone or something, right? In this term we know it's Christ, to fix the brokenness in this world. Look, if you look at Genesis 26... Right? We're not going to really parse this out too much. It says this, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all of these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is God talking to Abraham. Right? We're not really going to walk through the first part because there's a lot of different commentaries about what that actually means. But we're going to focus on that last verse. It says, and in your offspring, God talking to Abraham, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we know Look at this. We have Paul who kind of who qualifies this statement for us. And Galatians 3.16 says this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Look, it does not say and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. It is not saying your offsprings. Paul qualifies and says, look, this, this statement that God and this promise that he made to Abraham is actually pointing to Jesus. It's not pointing to anything else. It's pointing to, to Christ. And I look at this, and, and if God were proved to be a liar or, or worse yet, a sham, we would be a people without hope. It would vanish. And in turn, so would love in a lot of different ways. And, and so would our joy in a lot of different ways. And so would our peace in a lot of different ways. You kind of see the trend that's going on here, right? 
See, these promises, and in turn our hope, are totally dependent on one. Our hope and our promises are completely dependent on Christ. See, this hope is totally based on God's merit and God's faithfulness. Completely. And when we start losing that point, we become lost. It confirms God's promises. How do I know that? Because verse 8 says that he came to the Jews to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises to the patriarchs. It is the proof here that Paul is writing about. And then not only that, but he, he includes the Gentiles, all of us who are not Jewish, right? All of us into his family. And verse 13 wraps up with this proving his mercy. See, the presence of Jesus confirms God's promises, but also proves his mercy. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And again, not this strength of a person's desire, hope, but this confident expectation of what God has promised to do, hope. See, verse 13, look, it just declares the essence of who God is. Verse 13 points to the fact that it is a given mercy that is completely undeserved, completely unmerited to people like you and I. So we, we notice two things in this one passage. Like, may the God of hope, here's the first thing, fill you. May the God of hope fill you. That is something that we cannot do ourselves. We must be dependent on God who gives us this filling. When we try to fill ourselves with hope, it often will completely mess you up because you start attaching your life and your, your hope to things that really are not certain. And, and so we need to know that this feeling doesn't come from us. It comes from God. It, it will fill you. May the hope of God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Look, here's the catch of this, though. In believing. The NIV kind of breaks it down this way. It says that he'll, he'll fill you with joy and peace, look, as you trust in him. I like that translation a little bit better because it's a little bit more direct. But as you trust him, look, so, so read this again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, look, as you trust in him, as you're, as you're putting everything on the line in front of him, as, as you're walking with him, as you're trusting in him, as you're saying, God, I'm not sure exactly where you're taking me. God, I'm not exactly sure what this looks like, but I'm going to trust in you. And as I trust in you, you're going to give me hope. You're going to fill me with this hope, and in turn, you give me joy and peace along with it. Joy and peace, see, are produced out of the overflow of hope in the life of the believer. All these things, I'm going to say this probably a few times during this, this sermon, but love, joy, hope, and peace, these are all things that are they're not separate entities. They're all intimately linked. Because when you start fading out of one, you start fading out of the other. But here's the other thing. When you start growing in the other, you, you start growing in another. As your hope grows... Your love for others grows, and, and your joy grows, and your peace in Christ grows. And as you lose those things, everything begins to kind of unravel. And so that's why I said a few weeks ago, like, when we start focusing strictly on one, then the other one kind of starts going away, because they're all, they're not separate. They're all linked together. But joy and peace, again, are produced out of the overflow of hope in the life of the believer. Look, so that, there's a, there's a commentator named Robert Mounts, and he says this, clearly, the Christian life is God's empowering presence in the midst of life's uncertainties. It is not up to us to conjure up hope or any other spiritual quality. Our only access to empowerment is to believe. It says this, then God steps in and does the rest. The Christian life is a supernatural life in the fullest sense of the term Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of, of glory. And so here's the thing, like we know that Christ in us, the hope of glory, and we know that he is the only thing that we can do, or the only thing that we, can, we can possess that would give us hope, but we flee from that, we, we run from that. We know it, but we run, it's odd, it's weird, right? There's a lot of things that we know, but we completely do the opposite thing, right? Too often... Our, our hope is crushed and, and when we don't get what we want and when we feel that God hasn't really delivered on his end. Can, can I just say that's an honest statement? When we feel that God hasn't really delivered, our hope gets crushed. And here's the other side of that reality. Like, we tell other people about the hope in Christ without feeling it ourselves sometimes. No, God, God, hope in God. 
Put your faith, trust, everything in Christ. But all the while inside you're like dying, right? And we've walked away sometimes from our daily relationship with Christ because we've tricked ourselves into thinking that like without him our life is manageable until we're going to need him again, right? So that's one part. And it's ironic to think that we point people towards hope in Christ all while neglecting our own hope in Christ. It doesn't really work like that, but so often we try to do that. So when we do that, his mercy is still there for us, thankfully. His hope is still there. All these different things are still there for us when we, when we flee from these things, but, but so often we find ourselves at a place where we're telling other people about the hope in Christ, but all the while we're saying, is it really there? We say, like, look, I, you know, hope, in, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God. And then we walk around and we're like, God, please, hope, 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 help me, help me, help me. And that's where we, we find ourselves in that. There's a, there's a little quote that I found in here, and it's not going to be on the screen, but it says, Hope is something that can't seem to be shaken by those who have it and impossible to reach by those who don't. I'm going to read that again. Hope is something that can't, uh, can't seem to be shaken by those who have it and impossible to reach by those who don't. And is that, is that so true? When we have it, boy, do we have it. But when we don't, oh, we wish we did. And we, we come to that place where, where I look at this, right? It's, and the reason why, like, when it feels so impossible to reach is because so often when we're trying to reach for hope, it's because we're trying to do it on our own power. And it's something that's, that's given by God. It's not wished into existence. We don't be like, God, give me hope. God, please give me this hope, right? It's a common grace that even God gives the unbeliever hope. Why? Because it is a picture of himself, it's common grace that, that non-believers, that people don't, that don't put their faith and trust in Jesus have hope. It's common grace to them. But to us, it is also a common grace that's been given to us that we might glorify God even more. That we might look to him even more. Proverbs 10.28 says this, The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The hope of the righteous brings joy. So we have hope of the righteous of the people that follow Jesus, it'll bring you joy. But here's the thing, the expectation of the wicked will perish, and that word expectation literally will just kind of fall into the world's hope. Because our hope in Christ is not attached to an expectation. And so often we try to do that. God, I do, you give. My expectation. God, I, I well, look, as I read the Bible, it says if I do this, then you do, that's not never what it says. In our minds, we like asserting that that's what it says. We're like, no, God, you don't understand. Like, I did my part, so you do yours. It's not how it works. And so, look, you, even like you look at Romans 5, like he, hope gives us the ability to withstand the sufferings in this world, the here and the now. We, we do not see our circumstances as, fa- as fatal or, or final, but temporary in the eternal weight of the glory of God. See, the what we know what we believe about hope and what we know about hope directly influences the experience of our hope. Here's the first thing we need to know in our experience of hope. The hope is ours. That was, okay. The hope is ours. There we go. Guys, that, the, the hope is ours. Like we experience the hope and the hope is ours. It's only ours though because of Christ. It's not the world's hope. It's not the the personal desire hope. It is the hope that we have in Christ, his work, his glory, his person, right? And so if the hope is ours, it's only because of Christ. I even have people been like, hey, look, man, like you're weird, dude. Like why? Because Andy, you're always talking about like hope or you're talking about joy. You're talking about peace. And like even when things are seeming to go wrong, you're like, yeah, you you get angry about things and you get irritated about things. But by the end of the day, like you still have this like joyful hope that what's going on. I even have people said this, hey, Andy, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say those things. You know, and the reality is it's, it's hard to move past words. Uh, when life is falling apart and, and we forget where our hope comes from. It's hard to move past words. Because again, when, when we're struggling and when our hope seemingly is just falling apart, we're like, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? 
God, like, I, I'm supposed to have this, but I don't. And, like, I'm walking around and, like, yeah, yeah, Andy, you told me. You, you told me that. You told me hope in God. Great. Thanks for that. It's just a word right now because that's not what I'm feeling. But then we think about, like, is it really just words? Because we, we look at the understanding here. And Paul says that the cross, is, that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Is that just words? We see that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish with everlasting life. Is that just words? We see, we, we see that Jesus hung on a cross for your sins and for mine. Is that just words? We say Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Is that just words? And yeah, in, in a point, yeah, it is words, but at the same time, those are biblical truths that we can carry as believers, that our hope is not ripped from us. You know, like I said, Paul, like these things, like foolishness stands in direct opposition to hopefulness. And so often we start saying, man, it's just words. Like, Andy, I know it to be true, but my heart doesn't let it be true right now. My, my, my emotions aren't letting it be true right now. We kind of walk into a place of foolishness, and we have to be careful because foolishness is completely opposed to hopefulness. And when we have a hope as a what? A sure certainty, we don't pursue the junk of the world. And every time we, we let our hope flee, every time we kind of let our hope go do whatever, and we kind of like forget that it's happening, we begin to buy into whatever next best method of your life is for that day. We walk up to a book and go, that sounds good. No, put it down. Right? And, and we, we look at this. Like we, we stand firm in these promises that, that Jesus is Lord of all things, one including our lives. And so often we say, well, Jesus, he can have this, but he can't have this. And you know what? And until he gives me hope or until he gives me what I want, I'm going to stand here in defiance saying, God, you owe me. Man, we can't be there. And let me, Christian, if that is you and you are there, you need to move from there to here at the foot of Jesus. Because Romans 15, Romans 15, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. What? In believing or as you trust in him. See, the more that we press into Jesus, the more he presses into us. And the more we get to know Jesus, the more he allows us to know that he's being known. And so we, we understand that. And as you trust in him, this is a lordship issue. We need to stop saying Jesus is Lord and then give him no control of our lives. That's one of the biggest detriments to the church. Jesus is Lord. What? See, Paul is under the assumption that we're giving Jesus the lordship over our lives, that, that the hope becomes not of our own doing, but of God's giving to us. That it comes from him. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he is already doing and that the hope is already ours. See, we have assurance. We have assurance by this hope. Why? Through the resurrection of Christ. You can't talk about Advent and the coming of Jesus without talking about his ascent into heaven and the, 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 the return that's about to happen. You can't do it. And when you start detaching those things, you, you start preaching really weird theologies. You, you, you can't talk about the, the first coming of Jesus without talking about the second coming of Jesus. And I think about these things of hope, right? We have assurance through the resurrection of Christ. And so it's like, how do I get there? I think about Peter. Peter's sitting there denying Jesus. And I love how some, I forget which gospel it's in, right? But as Peter turns, Jesus is looking at him. First of all, that's, that's a whole side note. Like, if I'm, like, denying Jesus and then Jesus himself turns and looks at me, I'm like, yikes. All right? That's like, you know, when you walk into the kitchen, you're like, hey, kids, what are you doing? Nothing. They're like, four hands in the cookie jar. Like, you know, that's one of those moments. And you know you're in trouble. And so here's Peter thinking, like, oh, man, I just denied Jesus three times. Like, I have no, like, I have no hope now because now what, who I'm supposed to be worshiping, like, he completely thinks that I'm a crazy person because I just denied my Lord three times. What am I going to do? And so we, we see, and, and, and the, the, the passage is continuing on, we see that Peter is out on a boat, and he sees some guy walking along the, the shore, and he's like, no way, that's Jesus. He jumps out of the boat. He swims the shore. He flees what he knew was certain in the middle of the water to an uncertainty in the water to walking out to an even more sure thing. And then he says what? 
Jesus is like, do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. He's like, you denied me three times. Let me ask that again. Do you love me? You know I love you. Then he left there with an inexpressible joy. And that joy will directly go into his hope. How do we know this? Because he went out with great hope. He was restored by the God he rejected. He went out with a great hope. And so when I think about great hope, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. When I think about a great hope, think about this. Verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, Peter is writing not to a fluff church. Peter is not writing to a church that seemingly has it all. Peter is writing these words to a persecuted, suffering, battered, seemingly broken people. He's not writing it being like, hey, hey, churches in North America, like you, you guys, you sit in your comfy couches and you're in your pews or your seats and, and you listen to a nice sermon and then you leave without any fear of retribution. He's writing to a people who are getting killed for the sake of the gospel, for people who are getting beaten for the sake of the gospel. And he's saying, look, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, a hope that cannot be stripped from you or taken from you. And sometimes we need to be reminded of God's glory and hand over our lives to him. Because if we believe that he has given us great mercy, we need to live in accordance with him giving us great mercy. And in turn, great hope. But here's the reality, though. Like, that's not where a lot of us will end up. Because for us, in the experience, hope can be fleeting. For some of us, that might be where you are right now. Hope is gone. Hope is running. I'm trying to lasso it and tie it back to me, but it keeps on wanting to go somewhere. Hope can be, can be fleeting. So, like, why does it feel like this? I love what John Piper says here. He says, hoping in God does not come naturally for sinners like us. We must preach it to ourselves and preach it diligently and forcefully, or we will give way to a downcast and disquieted spirit. Hope does not come to nat naturally to sinners like us. First, because it's not something that we can derive on ourselves. Second, because it's something that God has given to us. And then think about Psalm 42. When David's writing, why are you downcast, O my soul? Then he says this, why are you in turmoil against me? Look, hope in God, for again, I will praise my salvation and my God. Why are you so downcast? Like, that's where we find ourselves. Like, why are you so bummed out? Like, what is your problem? Like, I know I have security in the salvation of Christ, but yet on this other end, like, my world is falling apart. What am I supposed to do? My hope is fleeting. So often we stop and say, it's because I have every right to be. God, you don't know what I'm going through. I have every right to be angry right now. I have every right to be sad. I have every right to feel irritated. You don't know. And that's a place where we can all find ourselves. And whether you're, that, you're there now or whether you've been there or you're going, and you're, it's going to be coming sooner or later. And our hope becomes fleeting. And we say, look, I'm struggling, I'm hurting. I, I don't know, like, I don't have what that person has. Or, or my life looks nothing like I think it should. Or, or what everyone told me it would by 35, 45, 55. And I, I don't seem to have influence that I want. I, I'm not as popular as one was. I feel like a shell of my former self. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why is there turmoil within me? But David just doesn't leave it there, right? David says we need to hope in God. We need to hope in God. And this is where we say that our hope in Christ is not wrapped in the performance of what we do. Our hope is straight-jacketed in God's ability, right? And in his love, in his character, and in his glory. 
See, our hope cannot be centered on us, and when it is, we miss the truth that God is those things, and those are only things that God provides. Right? But even when I say that, like, I get it. Like, we have to be careful that, 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 that even those words, let your, let your love be straight-jacketed in his ability and his love and his character, his glory. That our hope isn't centered on us and, and, and when we do, we miss the truth of God and those things. Like, even that, if we're not careful, can just be a platitude. You tracking with me? It, it's just, it can just be a platitude. Like, why, why would I hope in God if everything that I know and love was stripped away from me? I had to ask myself as I'm prepping for this sermon, I had to ask myself that same question. Like, <laughs> Would I hope in God if everything I knew was stripped away from me? If everything that I, that I was dealing with was just seemingly like was a gut punch every time I, I turned around? And what if God just stopped operating in a way that I thought he should? Then what? I mean, look, I, I think about this, like David lost a child. I can't imagine. Some people in this room know someone who, who lost a child and they actually wrote a blog called God Gave Me a Casket for Christmas. Holy cow. I read that thing and I was like, oh, like I, Then I put myself in that position. I'm like, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading these grace-filled, hope-filled words about a, about a coming Jesus and a coming Lord and I'm going like, I don't know if I would be there right now. I don't know if I'd be there a week, two weeks after my child had passed. Like, I don't know if I'd be there. And that's a gut check question. Like, and the question becomes, like, how would I lead someone else through hope knowing that my hope is fleeting? Knowing that my hope is, is crumbling? And the question goes back to this, how can I hope in the midst of all of this? This is where I go back to this passage and I say this. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? And so he has caused us to be, be born again. Like, we have a new birth in Christ that his presence has allowed us to see his fullness of God through his son, Jesus. Right? We can see God's fullness, God's glory through the coming of the Messiah. We see that in the Advent. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because Jesus has come, right? And Jesus was, was, a, was, offering, was an offering from God. He was filled with hope and filling the Old Testament scriptures that pointed to him right in front of other people, and they didn't see it. And so I'm wondering sometimes, like, even when we're like, oh, well, I would, I, you know, if Jesus came back, I'd be like, oh, like, would we? Because he, he was in a manger, and he was doing these things that the Old Testament pointed to him and proved him to be doing, and all the while they're like, I'm going to kill you. Right? And I'm like, oh, that's not very hopeful, right? That's not very, very good, right? We have the ability to see what is going on. And God, look, look, God is not done with his story yet. God is not done with his story in my life. God is not done with the story in your life. There is still more to happen. There's still more to come. Unfortunately, for some of us, that might be more pain and more trial and more suffering. But guess what? There's hope at the end of the tunnel. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And again, I don't want to just say that as platitude. I can tell you that as a sense of hope. I can tell you that it's a sense of looking at the scriptures and saying, man, is God really who he said he is? Yeah, I believe that, right? Because though my life looks completely messed up, and if you put my, my sins up on a screen, half of you guys would probably walk out and leave, which is fine, right? But here's the reality of that. Like, we come to a place of hope, that he is not done with his story yet. See, here's our experience. Hope is certain in Christ. See, hope is certain in Christ. How do I know this? Look, because it says, because it's according to his great mercy, not mine. Thank God, because <laughs> you guys would not get much mercy from me, all right? Because sometimes that's where I kind of fall. Now, look, this passage, I love how it lines up. I love how beautifully this lines up, this passage is. Look, and what I'm about to read, I'm going to caveat this, okay? What I'm about to read, look, I don't know where you stand on the message. I don't look at it as a literal translation. I look at it as a nice commentary or a good paraphrase or anything like that. But I love how Eugene Peterson phrases this passage, all right? He's a lyricist, if anything, Okay, look, he says this, talking about 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. He says, what a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. Look at this. The day is coming when you'll have it all. Life healed and whole. I love how he words that. That, that every day, yeah, I know, sorry. Right? Every day, 
Every day you look at this, look, there's a day that is coming when you have it all, life healed and whole. Look, I don't care where you stand on the message, but that phrasing lines up with what Peter's saying. And I'm going, life healed and whole, yeah. So the hope that I'm struggling to have now, one day it'll be proven true. Like the, the, what I'm struggling with now is, man, I just, uh, here's the thing, like what are we hoping for? Like what are we hoping for to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Look, this is what we're hoping for, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you and for me, for all of us who are in Christ who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to reveal it in the last time. Look, so look at these, these three words, to an inheritance that is imperishing, imperishable, sorry, imperishable, never decaying, never losing its potency, undefiled, always pure, always perfect, unfading, always vibrant and alive. That's the inheritance that we get to have. But here's the thing, notice it doesn't say Complete. Notice it doesn't say complete. I wish it did, right? But at the same time, it doesn't. And here's the reason. It, it, it's because we, we won't be complete until Jesus returns. It, it won't. Like we said, we're in the already, but not yet. We're in the, when they're already, if Christ has come, Christ has lived a life that we couldn't live. Christ was the perfect sacrifice. Christ was hung on a cross. He screamed out, Father, why have you forsaken me? He said, it is finished. He was raised from the dead. He showed himself to over 500 people, and then he ascended into heaven. Now we wait. Awesome. Now we wait and see, look, it's going to remain incomplete until he comes because it is his glory that he deserves. Right? So we get to experience that. But we also, because of that, since we have hope, we need to show hope. We, we, we haven't, we can experience, we can also show hope. So how do we do that? <clears throat> Sometimes we, <laughs> I'm not going to walk through like how we show hope because so often I can, I, it would be longer for me to tell you how to show hope. So I'm going to do the shorter list of saying how not to show hope, okay? And then you can put the pieces together because we're all intelligent people, all right? So here's some ways not to show hope. One. False hope. That looks like this. I hope the Leafs win the Stanley Cup. False hope. Sorry. All right, you can take that one down. All right. <laughs> Here's the thing. That's a, that's a joke. All right, for my Leafs fans, don't send me angry emails. All right, look, so don't, don't, that's what I'm saying, right? I put that one up first because ha, 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 right? But here's the thing, like, don't get false hope. This is hope that takes anyone's focus, mind, and heart off of Jesus and his work, his redemption, and his purpose, right? So we can't give a sense of false hope in something that will not last. Guys, look at me. This is easy to do, especially around Christmas. When you see some sort of behavior shift in, in your child or your friend or your, your spouse or whatever, and you're like, oh, there's hope here. And then we start putting all of our faith and trust in them and what they're doing rather than what God is doing in them because the moment they mess up, you're going to be disappointed. And so here's how not to show false hope, hope in people, places, or things. Stop hoping in people. Hope in one man, the God man, who is Christ. Stop putting your hope in people because when you do, you're going to be sorely disappointed because one day they will break your heart. One day, they will do something that you don't necessarily agree with, and one day, they will maybe walk out, or maybe they'll do something else, or maybe you'll be sitting there going, huh, whatever. Don't put your hope in politicians. They're slimy. I'm joking. Some of them are. Okay. Don't put your hope in politicians. I actually, uh, back in my church in Virginia, I used to write a blog for our, for our church, and, and I actually wrote a blog, posted it after the 2012 elections, got blasted, had to take it down. Here's the premise of it. It was, and some of you, follow with me when I say this, okay? <laughs> it was, I'm glad Obama won the election. Only because that was in a direct response to how so often our hearts can be. Because they, they looked at Mitt Romney as the savior and not a Republican candidate. And it was talk of, when he gets into office, this is all going to change. When he gets in office, this is going to happen. When he gets in office, this is all like, and then all of a sudden I see Christians as, as, as people saying, well, Mitt Romney might win. They start putting their guard down, boom, 
boom, boom. Well, if culture changes, I don't have to be a super Christian anymore. I can just be like, oh, look, it's happening for me. We can't lose sight of that. We can't, we can't put our hope and trust in politicians because when they start going one way and they swing the other way, what's going to happen? And it seems like it shifts every, what, eight years? I think in the U.S. it's been Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. And it's almost like that for the past, whatever, eight-year cycle. Don't put your hope in politicians. Put your hope in Christ. Don't put your hope in your things. It's going to let you down. And look, I'm not saying like we shouldn't engage truth with politics. Hear me on that, right? I'm not saying don't engage truth. I'm not saying don't speak truth into the culture. What I'm saying is don't put your hope, everything in that. Because it'll swing your way one, one year, and it'll swing the opposite way the next year. You can't put your hope in those things. So don't put your hope in people, places, or things. Don't put hope in your successes. Don't put hope in your job. Don't put hope in your degrees. Look, today's success is tomorrow's failure. Right? And so when we hope in that, we're like, oh, I have a master's degree. <laughs> Guess what? That's like a bachelor's degree now. <laughs> I'm in a doctoral program. So am I. So am I. So am I. So am I. Right? And we get in these places, right, where we put our hope and our successes. And be like, hey, then we start walking around a prideful tangent being like, hey, don't you know what I did? Yeah, well, it was 15 years ago. Thank you. Do something else. And we put our hope in that. Sorry. Put our hope in that. And, and when we walk so we, we put our hope so often in these people, place, or thing, we get disappointed. We put our hope in our successes. We put our hope in our abilities and our talents. Don't do that. You know how many SEC football players that are in college playing college ball that I've watched break their femur who are number one, number two, number three possible NFL draft picks? Think about guys like Marcus Lattimore running back for South Carolina. One of his last games breaks his leg doesn't really get drafted, finally gets on a team, becomes a starter, gets cut. Just didn't have it anymore. Don't put your success in your abilities or your talents. It's never going to be enough. And look at me, church. Even your religious things aren't going to be enough. I work, God replies. It goes exactly what, what Pastor Brett was saying last week. And as you're constantly doing theology, you're, you're always going, right? We gain, we gain hope in the things that, that are often going well, right? But when we often attribute to those things the things that we have done, right? Well, look how great this is going. I hope that I keep on doing well. And we start attaching because of very man-centered hope, and it leads to circumstantial hope. All false hopes can be taken away. See, in John chapter 10, look, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that the enemy comes to rob you of the hope within you. The enemy can take your possessions, but he can't take your hope. The enemy can take your family, but he can't take your hope. And I know that's a struggle. Because I look at it in my perspective, like if that, all these things happen, like I would probably be crazy for a while, right? He can try to ruin your dreams, but he can't take your hope. Like the surety is the work of Christ within you, right? How do you know? Because our hope is not based on us. Our hope is based on Christ, right? And so we, we look at this, and our circumstantial hope comes out in, in what we do rather than what God is doing. And we, we see those who have hope without needing hope and, or without knowing God. And like, what's the deal? How do these people have hope? And I, I am following Jesus. I'm supposed to have all this great hope. But yet I, I seemingly, I can't, my hope is fleeting. My hope is gone. But this person who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't care to know Jesus, doesn't want to follow Jesus, they seem to have more hope than I ever do. And that's when I say the circumstantial hope is temporary and fleeting and will need to attach itself to something new at the end of the day. See, our hope is steadfast. Our hope is true. Our hope is given to us by Christ. But those outside of Christ, yes, they have hope as a common grace, but it's always being attached to something new. Because once you get to the end of one thing, guess what? You've got to start over again. It's always attached to something new. Sometimes this is for us, like, when we start thinking about the bigger, better thing. Well, when I have more money, when I have a better job, when I have a nicer car, when my kids will listen to me, when my spouse will listen to me, when all these different things are going on. We start attaching all of this and become circumstantial hope. And here's the thing, the scary thing, with circumstantial hope, you can actually trick yourself into thinking that it's like some sort of God-given hope and it's really yourself attaching it to someone else. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. And as long as those things are going well, we see hope and then it, it dies Seemingly when it's the end of the day and when things aren't going well. Here's the last way and not to show hope. Hope in subpar religiosity. 
So when I say subpar religiosity, this is what I mean. This is the feel-good, constantly doing religion that stops short of finding actual satisfaction in Christ. Right? This is the cultural Christianity of North America that has plagued our culture and that we want to give the bare minimum of ourselves to gain the fullness and the blessing of God. God, like, I went to church today, I'm good, right? God, like, I sing a worship song today, I'm good, right? And we look at that like, we want God for the end of life. So if this, quote, health thing is actually real, then we can avoid it while not giving him your full life on this earth. That's where a lot of us find ourselves, and that kind of freaks me out a little bit, is that it's a lordship issue. And we say, like, Jesus, like, I know that you are Lord. Go, God. Woohoo! But at the same time, like, I'm just, I'm just in this for, like, the get out of hell free card that I get in Monopoly. You know, and, and like, I just, you know, I... God, and you're there, and you're forgiving, and you're loving, and you, that's so nice you don't demand anything of my life. I can just do what I want. The scary part is that's where we stay, and that's where we leave it. And here's the, here's the reality. Like, we get so good at telling people, don't do this, but do that, right? And like, oh, the problem is this. We have done that, and we still do that. Well, you know, if you don't got to be happy with you, do this. Don't do this. Stop sinning and repent, right? Now, those are true statements. And our repentance is necessary for salvation. Understand this, right? But some of us, we just like beating the tar out of ourselves and beating the tar out of others because we have some sort of like, we must do this. And that's not what the gospel is laid out. See, here's the question. Where's the hope in the gospel? We're supposed to show it. Like, where's the hope in, in the gospel? It's in Christ. Again, it's not in what we do. I'm hoping I'm driving that point pretty clear today, right? There's a guy named Zach Eswin. He says this, the Bible isn't spells and potions. You don't get them right in the work. It is the true we find in the hope in Christ. The Bible isn't a bunch of potions. It's not like add this, do this, go oogity boogity, and then that's it, right? It is the end of the day where we say that our hope is rooted in Christ and we find hope in Christ. There's no other way around that. So we don't show false hope, but here's the last thing of our, of our show is that we, uh, hope must be expressed through God's people. This is called a tangible way. We give hope by meeting physical needs, yes, and so many of us are like, we're good at that, right? But so often, like, we, we miss the spiritual needs. We need to share our spiritual needs with other people, right? This is why, one, we need to share the gospel. We need to share the gospel. That's hope to us. That's hope to others because of his greatness and his caringness. We never know how people are going to respond to the gospel, right? Even, that, even the person who you think has rejected the gospel 100 times because you've been the one to share it to them 100 times, you never know when God will draw them to himself. You never know when the veil of their heart and eyes will be ripped open. Here's the little cat's race for you. Obedience is your job. Outcome is God's, right? And so we, we walk through that collectively as a church, and what does that look like? We must share the gospel because if we're holding the hope that we say to have in ourselves away from other people, we actually are doing the gospel a disservice and doing or being disobedient to God. It's very much to the point of like if two people are drowning and one has a life raft, in fact they have two and they don't share, it's kind of very much like that. Because what's going to happen is their legs are going to get tired and they're going to start flailing about trying to keep their head above water and all the while you're holding on a two going, hey, dude, what are you doing? Right? And so we, we move that and we, we work through that. And look, here's the last thing. Hope must be expressed through God's people sharing the gospel. Share life together. Look at me, church, when I say this. I don't mean as a hi and goodbye out and through these doors. I don't mean that. When we do life together, we can give hope in so many different ways. And to those that are around us, look, look at me, look at me. But that requires that you are vulnerable with other people, and that requires that they are vulnerable with you. That means you love people through difficult times. That means we care greater for them than we do ourselves. That means that we care greater for, for how we respond to them greater than our own offenses. I, I can't deal with them. They, they've offended me. Really? So when, when Jesus is looking at us going like, get away from me, you've offended me. 
If really supposed to be the, the love, joy, hope, peace of Christ, showing, showing that and sharing that with other people, right? It lets us know when we share our lives together that, it, that we're not alone, church. It lets us know that we, we are actually a family, a church family. Like we say you are loved, but it can't just be here. It has to be in your life. It has to, has to show hope in that way. It gives us understanding that maybe that what we're dealing with isn't fatal, it isn't final, but it's recoverable through the body of Christ because we have people holding us accountable and all the mess and how deep you think you are in your sin, you can say there's hope in the middle of this because I have people walking alongside of me holding me up, pointing me towards Jesus. And so we look at this passage, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be what born again, what? To a living hope. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He has given us through a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we, we, we have a great God who gives us great mercy and in, in, through the redemption of the work of Christ for something greater and sealed for eternity. That's what Peter's saying. I think about like John 3.16, John 3.17, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Here's what I love about the Advent in John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. How do we do that? Through the birth of Jesus in this Advent season. His presence gives us hope. The coming of Jesus was the fullness of God's love lavished on this world, right? It was him returning to a marred portrait that we may see to begin to uncover the beauty that is his creation. It ties back to exactly what David was saying. We are the marred portrait, and he is the artist, and he is the design. And he has given us his mercy and his glory that we would see this, and then we would hope for a brighter day and a brighter future in a hope that is not man's desire, but is the beauty that is a sure certainty in Christ. In him, we have living hope. It's because of his mercy, because of his greatness, because of his glory, and it's a hope guarded through faith for salvation to mankind. How beautiful is that? So church, as we close out today, know that this hope is not something that you can derive yourself. This hope is completely dependent on our glorious Lord. And if you do not know this glorious Lord, let me encourage you to make this the day where you know who he is. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we, we worship you and, and how great your name is. God, how great and how great you are to be praised, how worthy and you are worthy to be praised. God, I pray that you would open our hearts, that we would see the hope that's within you, God. And as so many, even myself, God, the circumstantial hope, God, just rip it from my heart, God, that I would just look at you and that I would love you, God. Just, just remind me of your glory, God. And in this time of your presence, in this time of your advent, God, I pray that you would just be glorified. I pray that you would just break down my walls of this subpar religiosity that I've put up for myself. God, let me not hide in, in the mask. Let me not hide in, in the things that I've wrapped myself with, going, look how great, God. But let me just lay bare at your feet of your, of your cross, God, and just admit to you that I am a sinner, God, so often without hope. And God, we know that you are glorious. We know that you came to seek and say that was lost. We know that you have come to redraw a marred portrait and how glorious you are for the hope that is in Christ Jesus, a living hope. We love you so much, and it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.